Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, welcome to the 324th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. Uh, this episode is brought to you by patrons Ezekiel Barraza and Mike Slane. Thanks to you both. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Warren Kaplan. And today we are going to just have a real quick episode because Matt and I have gotten busy yet again and we did not get a chance to record an episode this week. So we're going to record one really quick. Ready and go, Matt. I've been dying to know what you've been working on lately. Uh, Well, I've been working on many things, but I think the topic that we're actually going to talk about is I had a phone call with someone, a friend of a friend emailed me. My friend emailed me. He's an editor. He was like, hey, my friend is an editor he wants to get into directing and he's a dad and he has kids and a wife and a mortgage like house all the things he has a he has a nut so to speak right he has like a certain amount of money that he needs to make every month in order to provide for his family anyway life at some point in crashes into your dreams of being a filmmaker he basically was like hey can i talk to you i know that you have a family and all that stuff and you're also a filmmaker and a freelance filmmaker at that, which I think is extra challenging. And he's like, just wanted to talk to me to see what my experience was and to see if I thought he should pursue it or not, or if it's like, quote unquote, too late. He's about the same age as me, a year younger. Yeah, I don't know. What, what is your answer, Matt? If, you, if someone who has two kids and a wife and mm-hmm. a house, like all, all the things that cost money mm-hmm. and take a lot of time and need your presence said to you, hey, I work in the film industry, not as a director, but I want to become a full-time director. Like, would you say go for it? Would you say too late, bud? I don't think I would say too late, but I guess I would, my follow-up questions would be as follows. I'd want to know why you want to be a director. He told me an answer for that. Uh, do tell. He's directed before. He's made shorts. He's mm-hmm. made branded things. He's made some small things. But he said it's just what he loves. Like when he's on set directing, it's like the happiest mm-hmm. place he is, which, you know, makes sense. I think we've all, can all relate to that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that I'm thinking out loud. I, I guess when you work professionally as a director, that feeling changes a little bit. You know, I think that ideally the process of directing, I think it maybe starts with like when I'm on set, I, I really love it. And then slowly it bleeds into post and it 
bleeds into pre-production and before you know it you're a weirdo who says i love the ppm or something like that or i love a tone meeting you love the whole whole thing and for those people i say wonderful good kudos but i think that that also means that you could be equally as happy just as an editor or just as a writer or you know what i mean like the director is the umbrella under which all of those disciplines fall and like being able to siphon it off i think Sometimes people learn that they could be happy a lot of different ways. I guess what I'm getting at is that I know how awesome those daytime TV schedules are. Alan had a summer hiatus. They had a spring break. You shot four days a week at most. You could tuck your kids in bed at night and go on vacation, had some cool perks and stuff like that. There were a few Hollywood jobs that are that close to a nine to five, maybe the way your parents' lives were, depending on what background you have. That's really, frankly, really enticing. So like, if you could be happy making a short film every summer break and also get to have kind of all of your bases covered and not be stressed out about trying to hustle for the next job, if you could imagine a world where that makes you pretty happy, then I would do that. And that's not to say give up on directing. What I'm saying is that it just takes a really long time to be profitable as a director. And if your standard of living is at a certain height, that can be a little tricky. And there are a lot of other ways to scratch that itch. The downside of directing professionally is that some of the joy gets a little washed off. Because, you know, how many times, Warren, have you had shot a take that you're like i love this perfect i'm ready to move on and then 16 other people were like here are the reasons why this isn't we can never use that yeah you know that just takes away a little bit of that power that joy and that's okay that's kind of that's part of the gig but you know like directing your own short film or some fun branded content where you also wrote it is a different beast than is different and also frankly making your own indie feature that you fundraise yourself can scratch that itch as well and maybe you take two months off to go do that and still have a good life and like see your kids and write every night or whatever you know what i mean yeah which is frankly kind of where i am right now and like maybe that's a good long-term plan maybe not i haven't decided yet i'm just like you know my kid's seven months old so like i'm paying the bills writing pitching you know it's been nice it's been nice to not be quite so stressed out with the hustle so maybe i'm just advocating for my own lifestyle (laughs) in this very moment for the record this director wasn't saying he wanted to direct commercials necessarily or like one of those things where 16 people do tell you why what you did is not usable but that's also true in television you know yeah there's the writers on set they're going to have their opinion the ep may or may not be on set but you have to answer to them you have to answer to the studio you have to answer to the line producer there's a lot of people who are great collaborators and all that it's not intrinsically bad but it's not the same so if you're chasing that feeling let's figure out what gives you that feeling and if it's just blanket directing then go for it chase after it for sure but if it's self-expression you have to really mine for those chances to express an idea or a sentiment or a style or a vision basically in a professional setting it's it's less about the individual and more about matching a brand or a show or something well way to ruin directing matt (laughs) but also you know i think we both still love it yeah right 
like we're advocating for it, but I guess what I'm saying is, is that this person has successfully made a great living and had led a happy life up till middle age. I do not know if he makes a great living or is has a happy life. Sure, sure. Fair enough. Fair enough. But he has a kid and a house and all of that stuff, you know. My answer to him was two part. First of all, I think making a transition from editor to director is great. Like I think editing is the mm-hmm. second most important skill a working director needs to have. Mm-hmm. Is writing the first important skill? No. the first is being able to get directing jobs sure yeah which encompasses a lot and then probably you know two and three are having uh, some understanding of cameras maybe but probably not that important and then you know also like being able to work with actors which depending on what you direct maybe there aren't even actors i thought like in terms of making a living there's basically you can direct tv you can direct commercials slash branded content so he might have better luck in TV as a new person because, you know, he, he is diverse and there's like probably some opportunities there and Mm -hmm. he has worked on the editing side in TV. So that's probably helpful as well. Basically I explained him why I work in commercials, why I think it's really good for people with families because you have 10 shoot days a year instead of a hundred, you know, like I get to take my kids to school almost every day. And then I have a shoot day here and there travel a little bit Mm -hmm. here and there, but in general, I'm like present in the mornings and in the evenings. But of course, being a freelancer is just like also means you live in constant state of stress and anxiety. But commercials, you get paid the same on a commercial that you would, you know, two days of a commercial than you as you would a, an episode of TV, which I think, at least for me, is like a much harder job to get than a commercial. You know, I would say in this person's specific situation, I would say start editing for a television show and make it known that you want to direct. That's what I would say. Yeah. I mean, we've had so many people successfully do that. Kabir, Akhtar. Yeah. I mean, and also yeah. like on the DP end, like Reed Morano, like all these people, Nelson Craig that used to be DPs and now are basically full-time directors. Yeah. I mean, I think that like there is a, a, a misleading thought that's kind of going around Hollywood that like, that's really quite prevalent of like people being like, oh, well, they're, re- they're really only looking for this type of person or that type of person. And, and all of that is... It is true that there are people who are who have mandates to broaden the the profile of directors that they're hiring, that they used to just hire 50 year old white men and that they shouldn't be doing that exclusively right. anymore. But they're still doing they're still doing like 80 percent that I think it's the, they're still doing 80 percent that. So I, I the feel 20% like percent that like, they're trying to. And uh, there's still a hell of a lot of people who want to direct who aren't. 50 year old white men so it's like if i was to say to you Oren, you have so much better odds of winning the lottery than i do i only have one ticket and you have three Mm -hmm. that would be an idiotic statement because the odds are still infinitesimal do you know what i mean yeah but i do have three times the odds but yeah i'm not saying i'm not saying it's easy i'm just saying that for a yes, newcomer, you do technically still have three times the odds. I'm saying for a newcomer, like I wouldn't advise for me to like try to get an episode of a TV show, but unless I had some ties to the show, I guess what I'm saying is, but is I think that for him, it might be worthwhile to try. The quote unquote newcomer part is, is maybe moot because the answer is, oh, you've been an editor for television for, I don't know how many seasons. The best thing on your resume is editing. So go find an additional editing job on a project that you want to direct on, because that is a much, much better way to get your foot in the front door because you're already literally in the building than trying to apply cold. 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That, that's the bottom Well, I line. mean, I think I would, if I were him, I would apply to like one of those programs, you know, diversity sure. directing yeah. programs or one of those things. Everyone should apply to every program that they are available to, to receive. But as we've learned many times from, you know, Maggie Kiley being the obvious example or Brenna Malloy, two huge successes, you know, they had to get those programs, which are highly competitive multiple times. Yeah. It's just one thing that you can add to your resume of like a million yeah. things that are helpful to have on yeah. your resume. So anyway, we'll see what he does. He was like, I was nervous to talk to you because I really wanted to know, like, honestly, like the numbers, like how much money you make. Oh, sure. And if it makes sense for my life. And so I kind of told him all the numbers from my experience. And he was, he found that refreshing. And I think that that's something mm -hmm. that I don't know if at film school, they tell you like, they probably don't prepare you much about like how much money like life costs in general, unrelated to the film industry. Certainly not. Yeah, um, certainly But not. then how work can line up with it. I wish that there was a class where like you set up your LLC and like file as an S corp, how to chase down invoices and all of that stuff. But like no one would sign up for it. Yeah, that is a good because idea. everyone's a genius. No, but it's like a, a you can you know. make that like required. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. 
Well, you had a similar situation, right? I did. But before we move on, though, I want to kind of just backpedal a tiny bit because I think that we answered the question for a person whose circumstances are very specific. But I imagine there were people at home or on their car, in their on their commute or whatever, who are in a similar boat, but maybe didn't edit for Ellen. Does your advice change if they don't have the resume, if they don't have a major television credit? <sighs> Yes, I think like if you're already in the system, like at a certain age, your best way forward is to stay in the system, you know, to kind of work your way up through the system. Like your advice, go find a show you can edit on and hopefully direct. I think if you're outside the system and you're of a certain age, like are trying to jumpstart your career, like you can't afford 10 to 15 years of working your way up. I would maybe do the short film that gets into Sundance, like really kind of try to hone your voice and your artistic talent and put that on display. Like there was that movie about the bikers. I think I played at Sundance bicycle riders that was made by, I think it was like two guys in their late forties. It's not just about people riding their bikes though. It's like multiple single take vignettes. Basically there's one that starts when they're on like a uphill. It might be called uphill or something. Like I think that. it's called uphill. But I remember I heard the interview with them on NPR and they were like, yeah, people are like, oh wow, your first film is in Sundance. And they're like, are you insane? We've made like a hundred films. <laughs> They've all yeah. been rejected by Sundance. We all have side jobs. We all work in posts. We do producing. We do this, 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 this. But finally you know, we got something to Sundance and now it's like getting us all these amazing meetings and we're all like grown up, you know, we're not like couch surfing and making ends meet. We're like fully formed humans. I think that the advice more or less stays the same. And that's that if you can have a job that is satisfying and solid and leaves you enough time, whether that's vacation time or just creative juices at the end of the day to write and shoot a short film twice a year or whatever that's still a pretty good existence that's still you shooting your shot and also living your life basically and if at the end of the day you're like oh man i just made you know 12 awesome short films i really am stoked on and like you know i travel a little bit for festivals and stuff that's pretty good i don't know that's not so bad yeah I think like the biggest piece of advice that I gave him that I was really giving to myself is that you can make it as a director, but like the most important thing is discipline, you know, is scheduling your day is like, Hey, this is family time. This is work time is like this screenwriting. This is editing. This is directing. This is like, I'm going to take this money that I had for a vacation. I'm going to make, spend it on a spec commercial or a short film or whatever. And you have to be really good at organizing your life in that way, in a way that mm -hmm. maybe when you're young and you have no one else to uh, account for, it, it's just kind of comes natural. You want to stay up all night for three nights writing your screenplay. And then you want to go, you know, like eat that, like it's fine. But when you're dealing with all these other people, you have to be much more disciplined. And I told him about Micah Fitz, Fitzerman Blue, who'd been on our podcast and he's just finished show running a show. He's starting to show run another show. He was been on, you know, many TV staffs. He wrote whatever beautiful day in the neighborhood. And he has a rule for his writer's room. Him and his writing partner are both dads. The writer's room is like from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. Then they have lunch and then they all write on their own from like 1.30 p.m. to 5 p.m. And they're all home by 5.30 p.m. to have dinner with their families. And they can all take yeah. their kids to school in the morning. Yeah. And they make a TV show. But how do they do it? They like don't check their emails. They have like, you know, probably mm -hmm. minimal phone use in the room and they're just super focused. 
writing room, writing room, writing room, and then writing. Right. And then you're done writing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Almost like it's a job. Yeah. I think it's a lot harder when, not a lot harder, but a, a different deal when your creative energies are spent at a job that's not your goal. Right. And then, so you tuck your kids in at five. Or you clock out of the, you know, the the ad agency or your blogging job or whatever. There's a lot of good creative jobs out there. Then you sit down at nine o'clock for the two hours that you have carved out. Having the energy to get through that stuff can be really tricky. And my solution had been to wake up early. I would just, I would wake up before the day. I would wake up at five, five thirty and right before my day job, basically. So I was giving the best parts of myself to my personal work and then slogging through the day job. And that was pre-baby. And that was pre-baby. Yeah, yeah. And now, I mean, now she doesn't sleep in our room anymore, so I could technically start set an alarm. But for a period of time, if I set an alarm to do that... Yeah, I would wake her up. I would wake up the baby. I just, my day... Would start earlier. <laughs> like, yeah, there's no, there's no way to beat that. Yeah, well, my son wakes up between six and six thirty, so there's like nothing I can do about that. I'm not going to wake up at five. Yeah, you can wake up at four or five. Yeah, and 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 there are people. Uh, I think there's plenty of people who do that actually. Well, how am I going to watch TV till one in the morning if I do that? Sure, you go to bed at nine. That's the the flip side. But I think actually, uh, as a alternative, I've just been like, well, I have a coffee at lunch. Mm-hmm. And I stay up later to write. And that's how I've gotten through the last few rewrites. Yeah. And it's brutal. We promised our listeners a short episode. So let's talk about your version of this conversation. So my version of this. Yeah. So I had a, a good friend whose film I know they have been working on for a long time. I met them in a workshop experience and they're shooting their film on Monday. Like a feature film. A feature film. They're in the thing of like, we'll get a text message like, oh my goodness, this cast member dropped out or like. You know, do you have a good lawyer or like we're looking for clearances, you know, kind of all of the questions that you have when you're making an indie film, stuff that they don't teach you. Yeah. And that you kind they of better. Like, if I were you at this point, I would get it in writing that they're going to give you a special thanks on the film. <laughs> I do like a special thanks. I do like a special thanks. What advice would you give your friend? It's shooting an indie feature. Yeah, they're shooting an indie feature. It's scrappy. They have resources, but there's not like a studio or, you know. Yeah, I have a piece of advice that's like unique. I've mentioned on the podcast before, but probably not within this past, <laughs> within the past year, which is there is a, a woman who is named Judith Weston. She wrote the book Directing Actors. You can do a consultation meeting with her where you send her your script and then she'll read it and she'll sit down with you and talk about the performances and how to get them out mm-hmm. of the actors. I found it really useful for my movie you reminded me of something that chrissy my wife suggested before because she was acting in our film see you next christmas as well so she wrote directed and stars and so she made herself a binder with a single sentence for every single scene that just kind of reminded her of what the scene was about oh nice this scene is about these characters falling in love I, this is, yeah. you know, something like that. I did it just with words, but then like half mm-hmm. the scenes were about farts. And when I was on set, I was like, <laughs> what did I mean by this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but like, you know, when you're in the thick of it, you're in the middle of week three, you've been shooting six days a week and you're like, oh shoot, why, what, this is uh, scene 29B, you know, and it's a half a page long. You kind of lose sight of like, why is this even here? 
mm-hmm. you know, and like just having a quick reorientation of like, oh, right. The most important thing is that this thing happens. This is the beat. Because also, you know, we were talking about shot lists and all that stuff. And inevitably there are going to be scenes that you had planned to shoot in six setups. That was the only possible way that you could ever, ever cover this scene appropriately. And you have time for two and a half. So what's the most important thing was a really valuable, I thought, piece of advice. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I guess a piece of advice I got from my DP, again, another thing I had mentioned probably on this like four years ago, but is he asked me, are you one of those directors that just makes everyone work for like 15, 16 hours a day and acts Mm -hmm. like this movie is the most important thing in the world and never realizes that the crew is just there like doing you a favor (laughs) Mm -hmm. working at this low rate? Or are you a director that like tries to make the day efficient, doesn't overshoot, like has a solid plan. And mm-hmm. when you do have to go extra long, like make sure your crew knows they appreciate it because like at the end of the day, like the dolly grip, it's not like this movie is going to go on the reel or anything. The things that make their job fulfilling and them doing it right. Isn't the same as making a good movie. Right. You know, I always used to tease my uh, producing partner, like well, no one ever walks out of a movie and says, boy, I bet that film was scheduled really well. Right. But I do think like, when you're working on a Chris Nolan movie and you do have like a 16 hour day or whatever, I actually have no idea if he has long days or not. But if you are the dolly grip on that shoot, but you see a director that has a giant vision, has a clear mm-hmm. plan and is sure. Um, our, our tribalism knows what in. they need. Yeah. Well, it's cool. Yeah. yeah. Then you're yeah. down to do whatever. So just to remember when you're doing the indie film that you are the captain of the ship, mm-hmm. whether you feel like it or not, <laughs> there's just this great scene in Barry where this director, this woman is, gets an opportunity to direct, but she hasn't directed in like 20 years. And the script supervisor is like, what do you think? Take one or take two? And she's like, I have no idea. I don't know what I'm doing. I suck at this. And she's like, no, this is like amazing. It looks great. And she's like, okay, then take two. But like, <laughs> it's that yeah. I loved it because it's like any director, even if you have been directing for 20 years, sure. kind of has that moment where they're like, do I know what I'm doing? Is this any yeah, good? Yeah. So even if you're in that situation, you still need to instill momentum and and Mm -hmm. i'm like a you know it's very selfish but i'm like the guy that like if call time is 8 a.m and coffee's not out till 9 a.m um you know and the producer's like yeah sorry i was late i'm like it does it should not be late tomorrow like i i don't want the crew to feel like we're not Mm -hmm. ready for them to arrive yeah you know yeah like there's small things like that that even on (laughs) you and i are both huge sticklers for when the coffee is ready, (laughs) right and that's why it's selfish because like maybe you know I'm the only one I, that wants coffee. I show up with my coffee. I may, I've made it, I'm two espressos deep by the time I'm to set. But it is just like a very clear indicator of how a ship has run. On the flip side, a tangible way to show people that you care. I'd forgotten about, we did this on Squaresville. There's two things. One, I'll do a circle up, especially at the beginning of the first day. And it kind of slows people down and people are a little annoyed by it. But it's like... I get everybody in a circle. I have them all introduce themselves. I make a little speech. It's not unlike a little prayer. It's a a little ritualistic. It's a little mushy-gushy, a little touchy-feely. Yeah, I love that stuff. Though I never do it anymore. But Commercials, you do that and people are like, all right, man, whatever. To be honest, they do it on movies and stuff as well but you just yeah it feels like you can invest a little bit yeah, more because you're like building a emotional energy kind of. yeah 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 and on uh to double down on that on squares well we had a thing we called the special treat 
which is essentially just like, you know, snacks at the 11th hour, basically, Mm -hmm. like kind of before we're talking about any sort of overtime or second meal sort of situation. And they were always small. Squaresville, season one, I made for $16,000. So I'm talking about Trader Joe's macaroni balls. I'm talking about Trader Joe's is the best way to make people feel like they're getting good food without spending Mm -hmm. too much money. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. But I realized in talking with my friend last night that part of the special treat is that the producers that were the ones passing the treat around. It wasn't a craft services person. We didn't have, I didn't even know a craft services person. It was very clearly thoughtful based off of the things that our crew members like, or like, is it a cold night? Is it a hot day? What are the little things that we can do to say thank you to people personally? You know, and at a certain point, the producers would argue over who got to pass out the special treat. (laughs) Right. I mean, yeah, of course Um, you want to be Santa Claus. Yeah. Yeah. But also like, I loved that crew. Mm -hmm. I love that crew. Yeah. I just got choked up thinking about it. That's so funny. One other piece of advice for someone making a feature. I mean, there's like just the very obvious things of like, you know, have a plan, make a good shot. Let's talk to your actors ahead of time. Mm -hmm. All all those things like to have a shoot date, even if you don't have all the money, all that all the producing stuff. But one other thing that I think is helpful to think about is have ideas for what your poster is going to be. Try to have all the days that are the most visually interesting days or you have mm-hmm. your famous actor or whatever, yeah, have a still photographer sure. yeah. on yeah. set, like shooting with like a real camera, not just an iPhone. This is a Chrissy thing as well, but like read through your script. And if there isn't a <coughs> line that explicitly explains the premise of your movie, mm-hmm. get it in a setup. Mm-hmm. Like our movie is about, you know, people throwing a annual Christmas party every single year. And it would have been nice if one of the characters had just been like, you throw this Christmas party every single year and I get to see these people over and over again. How cool is that? That line is established, but it's given to three or four different people. It's like, oh, hello. I haven't seen you in six years. I love Christmas parties. Like I'm back again next year. It's very clear in the film. There's no question, but there's not a succinct clear voice explaining the premise of the film and boy that would have been nice my friend cuts a lot of trailers and he always says that you know like i wish there was a requirement that movies explain what they were about (laughs) i was separated from my twin brother at birth and now i'm in love with him feel free to steal that idea everyone (laughs) and also yeah so on the same note just like have an idea of what your trailer is going to be because that Honestly, even at the writing stage, like helps you distill the idea and mm-hmm. pitching stage even better helps you distill the idea. If your trailer is like there's some big twist in the middle of your movie that you can't that is what makes the movie good and you can't show it in your trailer, then like there's a problem with like your whole <laughs> movie. Yeah, but yeah. if you can picture exactly where your trailer is and make sure you get those shots when you're shooting, you're like in such a good position when the movie's done. A hundred percent. Well, Oren, I think we could continue throwing out gems of advice all night but uh listeners at home if you have similar nuggets tweet at us and we'll retweet the ones that we see and like yeah i love that idea you want to do a very quick unpaid endorsement hit me unpaid endorsements okay i got multiple things because they're all so freaking obvious number one i mean i just finished euphoria season two mm-hmm. it is just like Teenagers having sex and doing drugs. That's Euphoria season one. And not Uh that season two doesn't have that, but it's the last two episodes are like high art. It's, Uh it's, Uh did you didn't watch it, right? 
No, I'm giving you a hard time. I know everybody loves it. I don't know. I mean, no one I know really watches it. It's like, it's, it's hard to watch. It's the HBO show. Really? It's, yeah. Yes. It's like their biggest hit for sure. Oh, well, I don't know. Bigger yeah. than like White Lotus and Game of Thrones yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Well, not, not bigger than Game of Thrones, but yeah. I mean, the last two, it's just the camera work, the casting, the performances, the color grade. They shot it on film for crying out loud. The way they mess with time and it's just so elevated. I don't even know if it's good. You know, it's just like I, you know, as a filmmaker, it's really hard to watch stuff without thinking like, oh, you know, what kind of camera did they or how did they get the camera? Like, how did they do that camera mover? Is that wall really there? How, you know, like, how is she crying? Is that tear real? But it's mm-hmm. like so engrossing that you don't even have time to think about that. And once you like replay it in your mind of like the shot you just saw, you can't even think of how it would be accomplished. It's just, it's just the next level filmmaking on all levels. That's what I think about Euphoria. I just listened to Smart List. Do you know that podcast? Mm-mm. It's Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and Sean Hayes oh, host yeah. the podcast. Someone was like, oh, you should listen to this episode. And I did. And what struck me about it is that there are three very funny guys. They're very old friends, mm-hmm. especially Jason Bateman and Will Arnett. They're very smart. It's produced, you know, they do their research and all that stuff. And of course, they're like funnier than us. And maybe the podcast a little smoother than ours and shorter for sure. But at the end of the day, I didn't think they were like such better hosts than us. <laughs> so I, made, I, I like that your happy. endorsement is like this famous podcast is only a tiny bit better than ours. Yeah, well, it's that their hosting skills. I mean, I think our podcast is better because we talk about the things you care about. We ask the (laughs) questions that no one else is asking, but theirs is more of a comedy interview podcast, you know, (laughs) where we're more like, (laughs) oh, where'd you get the money to rent that camera? Anyhow, uh, Smartless, check it out if you want. You don't have to, but it it is. It sounds like people don't have to. They've got, they've got, well, they they just had Ben Stiller on and they talked to him about like, acting versus directing and you know it's like pretty hollywoody they talk about like oh you live in malibu how did you get to the work (laughs) what freeway do you take like there's a little bit of that (laughs) stuff too i have one that's kind of a a good uh, matt and oren hybrid our old pals over at red giant seth worley and i don't know hashi but um but you've texted with them a little bit or tweeted with them a little bit they have their live friday vfx show vfx and chill and they had on um, youtube by the way on youtube this week, today, on Friday, they had all of the VFX artists from Everything Everywhere All at Once. All, all eight of them? Five of them. Oh, five. five of them. I think typically they count Kirsten Lepore and the, the Daniels. Daniels as as the kind of the entirety of the group. So not literally all of them, but like the vast majority of them. And it was awesome. Like literally you see their After Effects files. Oh, like wow. They'll be like, oh yeah, I'll show you how I did the shot. And they like screen share and you see the stack. You see like literally like what, pl- they talk about what plugin they're oh, using. Oh my goodness. They talk about. I gotta watch this. I know. I texted you about it and you said, cool. And I was like, goddamn right. Friggin' awesome. The major takeaway, and this is something that they talk about a little bit on the show. What's incredible is that Everything Everywhere All at Once is A24's most successful film. It's like north of 50 million, probably closer to 60 now. Bigger than Uncut Gems, or bigger than all that stuff. You recognize all of the tools that they're using. They talk about how they develop a look that is intentionally artful and a little old school. There's a lot of 2D in there, like a lot of 2D. You know, there are, there are shots where you're like, oh, that's just straight up hand animated. And I couldn't tell because it's relatively quick or because they're kind of creating this whole vibe. But like, but there's a shot where Michelle Kahn catches a bullet. Mm-hmm. Uh, between your fingers and it's 
they they had done it practically. They had the bullet fly in on a stick. They were going to speed ramp and all that stuff. They ended up just using photos, like photos of the bullet, and then painted on a shadow on Michelle on Michelle Yeoh's face. Cool. It's like stuff like that where you're like, dang, I could do. I know how to do that. You could do a lot of their effects in Premiere. Right. That's awesome. I'll take that. It's friggin' awesome. Really fun. You know, it's like they're asking the sort of questions that we would be asking. They're screen sharing. You know, it's friggin' awesome. VFX and chill, everything everywhere all at once. It came out Friday, June 10th. Totally worth digging through. And um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch that. Well, if you got anything you want to add, let us know. Unpaid endorsements, anything, tweet at us at Just Shoot It Pod. Email us, justshootitpod at gmail.com, patreon.com slash justshootitpod. I'd love to hear from you. Let us know what's going on. Ask us questions. Yeah, it's great to interact with you all. I'm on Instagram at OKaplan. I'm on Twitter at SmiteyPileg. And I'm at Mr. Matt Enlow. Our website is JustShootItPod.com. We're going to update it eventually, guys. I promise I have to redo it all. This episode was edited by Noah Bayshore. Thanks, Noah. You can find him at Noah Bayshore with a Y on Instagram. You're listening to music provided by the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.